Hi, everyone. I'm Seven Investing founder Simon Erickson. And here today, we're talking about the digital transformation, specifically about cloud computing. And I brought in a cloud computing expert with me. Matthew Esch is a data architect for the National Renewable Energy Laboratory based out there in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, Matthew, thanks very much for joining me here this afternoon. Hi, it's great to see you again, Simon. Uh, Matthew, we've I've gone to the Cloud Expo for several years now. And back even in 2009, they said that cloud computing was not going to be just a trend, but an umbrella under which everything else could fall. Something like that is such a big statement, especially when you see that every company now, in your own words, is becoming a technology company themselves. And we've really seen cloud computing catching on a whole bunch of different opportunities. And we're going to talk about those too. But can you kind of start us at the 10,000 foot level? What does it mean to have a digital transformation? How important is cloud computing in the IT world today? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's the new wave. Uh, you know, cloud computing uh, really enabled a lot of tool sets to be built for specific enterprise services. And that... Uh, that's really launched the next wave of transformation. You know, so the first wave was all the infrastructure. It's nice. You can host all your things in, in the cloud. That gives you some immediate benefits. You can, you know, you can control your costs. Uh, you don't have idle uh, bare metal equipment sitting around in your own data centers. Um, you know, you have to plan for your most capacity. And so, you, you know, there's a lot when you own your own infrastructure, there's a lot of idle capacity. And so, you know, you can tailor your cloud spend exactly to what you need at any given moment and then scale it instantly. Um, and so that has enabled a lot of tools to be built for the enterprise services. And those I'm finding are very focused tools. So they've picked their niche, whether it's an HR package, whether it's uh, business operations, whether it's business spend platforms. Um, and so there's a lot of enterprise tooling coming about that is really exciting. It seems very at the forefront of, um, you know, where we are as investors. It seems it's just beginning. Yeah, and there's definitely companies of all sizes really adapting to that, evolving their strategies and bringing everything to the cloud too, right? Public cloud, private cloud, hybrid cloud, whatever it might be. And let's talk about the different layers of the software stack, like you just mentioned. Uh, in terms of opportunities, one that we're starting to see a lot moving to the cloud is databases. Right, we've traditionally gotten used to these on-site relational databases, highly proprietary, code was all within the company. You saw companies like Oracle kind of own this space for the last 40 years. But we're starting to see new forms of databases that are cloud-based. That are cloud-based. Could you talk a little bit about this one, Matthew? It's funny you mentioned Oracle. They're, they're just starting to catch up. They, they had some big news this week where Zoom has picked Oracle to provide some of their cloud services. So Oracle is finally catching up with uh, cloud services, but really, you know, AWS and uh, Microsoft and Google are really the top three cloud platforms. They're, what The SaaS tooling that I'm referring to, there's a lot of different focuses for that SaaS tooling. And so what you're talking about are um, for software application companies, there's a lot of tooling out there for how to manage their development process, how to host their services, and how to store their data. Um, and so that is a, you know, one wave of this, as opposed to some of the other ones I was talking about before, which is more enterprise services, HR, um, you know, Salesforce, um, marketing side of things. Uh, so with developer tooling, you've got a lot of really interesting ones. Twilo is, 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 is doing uh, communications. MongoDB is doing uh, NoSQL databases. And so they can, if you're going to host your own infrastructure with Mongo, they can help provide enterprise support for 
self-managed instances of their database and it's an open source database. <clears throat> but in addition to that, you can, uh, they've got a SaaS service where you can buy managed database clusters in the cloud provider of your choice. So in AWS or Azure or Google, and they'll run everything for you. And so that really offloads a lot of the IT spend and maintenance that's required to maintain these things. And you can just hand this to your developers and they can be off and running and be creating, you know, profitable services immediately. And Elastic is another one. So for the MongoDB is, is, is the leader in NoSQL. Uh, I'd say Elastic is the leader in search. They too have, you know, enterprise support if you want to manage your infrastructure yourself or your cluster, uh, but also provide um, Elastic Cloud and even a third option where you can drop uh, Elastic Cloud, it's called Elastic Cloud Enterprise, right on your own Kubernetes cluster and be your own uh, SaaS provider for your team. You could be spinning up clusters as needed. So really interesting uh, tangent with those companies are taking. They've made an open source package to, to store your data and perform some kind of critical operations on it. You know, for MongoDB and NoSQL, you can just store anything in it. Um, for Elasticsearch, it's more about search. So they're a search engine and you can be throwing content in and uh, providing search interfaces over it, uh, as, as well as their, their bread and butter, which is um, observability and monitoring. You can throw all your metrics in it and have vision into your infrastructure as well. Let's double click on Elastic in a minute, but first let's, let's touch a little bit more on Mongo. I'd like to look at the bigger trend going on and why it's going on right now. You said developers a lot of times in open source. You know, is this the reason why we're starting to see these new types of databases, these general purpose document databases uh, that have been downloaded tens of millions of times because you're starting to see so many more software applications and developers out there that want something that's easier to use than the traditional databases? Yes. <laughs> that, so the trend is it's the app economy. And so, you know, there's, there's apps for everything at this point. And you've got to store the data and perform operations on that data. And so uh, MongoDB in particular is really trying to focus on all aspects of that. And so they've got um, their traditional MongoDB deployed NoSQL uh, database engine. They've got their hosted version called Atlas. They've got, uh, they've uh, done some acquisitions in this space and have purchased a company that has a mobile version of, of a database. So this would be a, a version of the database that lives directly on your mobile device, a tablet or iPhone or iPad, um, and then can sync to a master database uh, hosted elsewhere. And so there's a lot of combinations of how you as a developer can approach how to store your data and use your data. And Mongo is really addressing all of those. And then beyond that, they have also spun up some more enterprise facing SaaS uh, services. Um, they're going to start providing what they call Atlas Data Lake. I think they're directly competing with Amazon there. Um, it's very similar uh, akin to S3 and the Athena service in Amazon, which allows you to search over S3 in a, in a database-like format. Uh, so their data lake is something that they want to throw everything, uh, they, they want you to throw all your data into this data lake and provide search capabilities over it. So a very interesting um, approach and, and really three-pronged for MongoDBs. They've got their enterprise support and supporting their core database. They've got hosted managed instances that they can provide as a SaaS service. 
And then now they've got enterprise facing, not developer facing SaaS services for um, search needs in, in the enterprise. And then Elastic's doing a, a very, very similar path. And can we touch a little bit more on Elastic then? Because I know Elastic is, is doing a bunch of different things, right? They've kind of got a zillion different products, a zillion different directions they're going in. Uh, like that, yeah. from, our pre from previous things that I've read from you though, Matthew, you, you've kind of shown that they've got kind of three pillars that they're building around, right? They've got enterprise search, they've got observability, they've got security. Uh, is this kind of a, a more focused Elastic, would you say? Or how do you consider Elastic as an investment and a, and a business? Very interesting company, and one I know a lot about and just from my use uh, as a developer. Um, it does seem at first glance that they're a little scattered in their market approach. It's very simple, and, and they've boiled it. They've, they've gotten their marketing under control a little bit and a much more focused uh, approach at their product line right now. Exactly what you said. They have three pillars that they're, they're, that they're striving for, or really three verticals. So they've got a core stack that they've created called the elastic stack and that has um, the core elastic search database kibana which is a visualization and dashboarding tool over it and then a lot of other tooling about how to ingest data into uh, elastic search but they've figured ways to take that core and focus on specific market ver verticals so the easy one right out the gate is observability which is monitoring your own infrastructure and so you can monitor logs metrics you can monitor your applications in real time. It's called APM, Application Performance Monitoring. All that goes under that observability banner. And so that approach is more geared towards IT and developers so, so they can be watching their infrastructure and the services that run on it and have complete vision into uh, their own stacks of soft, software and hardware services. Beyond that, they have gotten into enterprise search um, that's kind of through an acquisition of a, of a subsidiary called SwiftType that was uh, built on the core open source Elasticsearch product, but they've adopted it and it's enterprise search. And again, it kind of has three directions that, that they're focused on there. It's workforce search. So like I was describing with Mongo, they want to sit over the workforce and everything that the workforce uses, they want to provide a search interface over. So it is... Um, your Gmail accounts, your office documents, your um, uh, JIRA tickets, all that you can have a search interface or over geared and secured per user so that you can basically have a giant search engine over your entire company's knowledge. So really exciting product. And then more traditionally, they have um, search interfaces where you can pipe in the web content such as if you're e-commerce or a publisher, you can be putting your, um, you know, your, your uh, published content into a search interface as well. And so those are all managed SaaS enterprise facing um, services that are more geared for uh, uh, actual enterprise users, not for developers. Now, any developer could build that themselves within the Elasticsearch themselves. And then the third uh, pillar is security. So a uh, heavy use case of Elastic was already um, as a seam, which is a dashboard into all your uh, security metrics. So your network traffic and um, your services. So this is already something you may have already hooked up 
on that observability pillar for IT and developers to look at, now you can have cybersecurity and the specific ways they want to look and deal with the data, looking at that same uh, uh, core data in Elastic, but more from the cybersecurity perspective. And then Elastic, in addition to all that, has purchased a uh, endpoint protection cybersecurity provider called Endgame. And now they're in that space as well. They're like uh, directly trying to protect uh, the devices for malware. And so they're taking a really interesting approach, um, but they very, from a marketing angle, they, they're, it seems a little scattered at first, but it's really those three core pillars, observability, enterprise search, and security that they're revolving around and selling into. And that's really where they get com competition. They don't have competition so much with the core product. They are the name in search. And just like Mongo is the name in, in NoSQL. But it's, it's now that they're spinning into verticals, it's where they get competition with Datadog, CrowdStrike, and some other uh, SaaS providers we might talk about. Let's talk about those next. Because like you said, you've got kind of a core that's built around the data. And then you've got a search that's a layer on top of that. And you've got different applications that can build on top of that. Uh, you mentioned observability. You know, a lot of people are also kind of calling that monitoring. Um, there was an interesting statistic from Gardner that every, the average minute of corporate downtime, so for larger corporations, every minute that your website is down is costing you $5,600. So that rounds out to over $300,000 per hour. Obviously, downtime is incredibly valuable to prevent. And so you're starting to see, as you've mentioned, application performance monitoring, IT infrastructure monitoring, everything is being monitored all the time. Uh, to try to keep that downtime from happening as much as possible. And, and just as you mentioned, Matthew, there's so many competitors in this space too, right? We've got New Relic, we've got Datadog, we've got Splunk, we've got PagerDuty, we've got a zillion others. I mean, is there a way that you think about differentiating the competition in this space that makes sense from an investing perspective? Absolutely. From an investor perspective, especially if you're not technical, aren't hands-on with those products. And I am not, I am, I, I'm a technologist and an investor, but I'm not hands-on with CrowdStrike's product versus, or Datadog versus New Relic. And so I don't, I don't know those distinctions. All I can do is look at the numbers and it's all in execution and performance of the company. You look at who's got the customer growth, where are the customers going and where are they having success? Looking at the net renewal rates, where you know, are the customers growing? Are they spending more each year? And then, um, you know, is revenue growth then following that trend? Um, and I, profitability is important, but it's not my anywhere near the top of my lead right now. I'm interested in those hyper growth companies that are amassing all those customers. And with the, the leverage that they inherently have as a cloud native solution, uh, the profits will come. And so keep amassing those customers, keep spending as much as you can to continue the revenue growth. And as long as margins are uh, not, you know, completely worsening and the uh, operating income, um, as long as they're starting to uptrend and you can see where that leverage is starting to be applied, uh, th those are the companies I'm most interested in. Yeah, that definitely makes it a lot of sense to see where the money's going. Uh, another space that we mentioned just a bit here was cybersecurity. Uh, cybersecurity is fascinating because just some top line statistics, 160 million emails are being sent every minute. MIT said last year that the average organization 
is triggering 3.2 billion potential cybersecurity events a month, but only 31 of them are actual threats. So there's a lot of signal going on out there and deciphering the noise from that. But cybersecurity has been an issue that's been consolidating, right? I mean, you're starting to see some really, really big uh, vendors out there, Fortinet, uh, Checkpoint, you know, even like the FireEyes of, of the world. I've tried to get bigger and get more information and monitor more things to protect companies. But we're also kind of seeing a shift in the type of protection itself, right? So next generation firewalls versus now that everything's moving to the cloud, more cloud-based platforms. One company that I, that I know that, uh, that you're a big fan of, Matthew, that is maybe not considered specifically a cybersecurity company, but they are addressing these kinds of issues is Okta. Uh, can you talk a little bit about Okta and what it is that, that you really are intrigued about with this company? Yeah, let me let me back up one thing. Uh, sure. I'm very intrigued by this whole cybersecurity uh, wave. You know, there's some core, as you mentioned at the top, every company is a technology company now. Okay, so you've you've got a workforce, you've got devices, you've got laptops, you've got phones or tablets out in the field. Um, so you have to maintain all that infrastructure. So every company is now a tech company. It's not just the software companies anymore. And so. There is a lot of products being built all around, and this is where I'm most interested as an investor because they cross-apply to so many different, I mean, really every enterprise. Every enterprise needs cybersecurity. Every enterprise needs monitoring of some kind. Um, and so uh, cybersecurity in particular is a very interesting one, and I try to find the companies that are honed into a very specific um, purpose and task. And then, of course, with all the uh, global pandemic going on right now, uh, workforce is becoming more and more scattered. And so this is becoming more and more critical. And so it happens to, you know, be a, a trending situation with multiple uh, variables right now, but the move to the cloud was accelerating it. The app economy was accelerating it. Remote workforce was accelerating it. And now the pandemic is, is making it absolutely critical. So as far as investments go, it's a very interesting space to be in. But as you said, there's a lot of players, there's a lot of competition. And so again, I look for the execution. Um, but the, the reason I like these cloud native providers versus the behemoths, I'll call them, of that may have been providing an on-premise firewall and they're trying to pivot into the cloud, um, they're, they're playing catch up because these cloud native ones have some specific uh, strengths. Uh, one, is which, one of which is that they have vision over their entire customer base at once. So they can see their entire network of all their customers at once. So a company like Okta and CrowdStrike has an inherent advantage because they are looking at millions of data points, whereas any company trying to provide an on-premise secure uh, solution is only looking at their data, not the rest. So I, call it, I kind of call that as looking at your own island of data. And when you're looking at an island of data, you're trying to solve your, only your cybersecurity needs and not keeping the big picture. Uh, or you have no vision into the big picture whether the neighboring company is, is getting hacked or other people in your data center, or, you know, what, you're, you're constantly uh, playing a reactive game that way. So these new, cyber, new wave of cybersecurity SaaS providers uh, have an inherent advantage. They can see the entirety of their entire customer base at once. Because of that, they also, and it's because it's a, a cloud solution and a SaaS uh, provider, they can react immediately. And so it's, it's, if, they, if they identify a threat, they can block that threat across their entire customer base instantly. 
And if you're dealing with some kind of on-premise solution or something that needs um, to be updated very frequently with new signatures of threats, uh, that they can't keep up. They're always going to be reactive. And, and these new solutions can be a lot more proactive this way. Um, so very interesting uh, uh, paradigm that's emerged in cloud security or in cybersecurity because of the cloud. Um, and, and as we're seeing now, uh, another important one is that they can scale immediately. You know, if, if CrowdStrike has to double or triple their customers uh, in response to uh, today's changing world, they can do that instantly. So very exciting all around in, in, this, in this space. And I'm interested in a couple of different names. The first one you said is Okta. They are an identity provider. And so they are ev everything to do with auth authentication, authorization, and single sign-on. And so they provide an immediate place all your workforce can go to log in once and have access to all the other SaaS tooling that is provided. And so they're very interesting and one of my most exciting companies that I own because they're, they're on so many different trends right now. They're in the cloud trend and app economy trend, but as more and more SaaS providers show up and as tooling continues to expand from here, Okta only benefits from here because all of those will integrate into Okta's integration network and they will provide uh, capabilities for all the workforce to, um, to log into those services. So they only continue to grow under this uh, environment. But Okta also has a, a second half, which is not only do they provide workforce uh, authentication uh, services, they provide customer authentication services. So they also live in that space that Mongo and Elastic live in they are a developer tool so that if you are a software company and have your own, um, you're creating your own SaaS platform or your own mobile app, they can provide the user authentication and you don't have to dedicate resources to figuring out cybersecurity and have to maintain all those incredibly high standards of cybersecurity. You can offload all of that to Okta. They've got the experts. You don't need to maintain that. You can focus on your core expertise. I'm going to build this software that does this thing, not how are my users going to access it. So incredibly strong company and incredibly sticky company. They, they are uh, deeply embedded in someone like Adobe and Adobe Cloud. Every user of Adobe Cloud is an Okta, goes through an Okta interface in order for authentication. And Matthew, if I might also add to that too, you mentioned that, you know, they are, Okta is very penetrated already at the workforce level. They're already very penetrated at the customer level doing business with those. But I've heard you mention an, an even more intriguing idea too, which is the consumer level, right? So like we have an identity that we need to protect ourselves as well for whether it's online voting, uh, whether it's, you know, healthcare, now going to the cloud and being more out there. Do you think there's an opportunity for Okta to expand even farther into a consumer platform? Yes. So they've created the platform. The approach is that it is an enterprise facing approach with workforce or customers, but yes, they could clearly pivot that platform in other directions. And it's just interesting that they, at, at Octane 20, they were greatly discussing uh, uh, consumer facing and you see, you see it emerging already. Um, DocuSign is another SaaS provider company and they're creating something called agreement cloud. That's exactly where, um, you know, a consumer facing uh, identity management system that Okta could tie into that. And so that you're sure you're signing a contract with someone and it's that person. Um, 
you know, that's really where Okta could, could start playing uh, very easily. Mm -hmm. so optionality, and, there's, there's so many different directions they could go from here. Yeah. Even, but they're strong as a, as, a, as a company right now. So very exciting company. And, and CrowdStrike too. I believe you, I heard you mention CrowdStrike too. As I understand it, the endpoint protection, right? There's a whole lot more devices out there. Uh, CrowdStrike, at least the last numbers I looked at, was growing revenue at least subscription revenue, 90% a year, and their free cash flow margin is already at 34%. Uh, that's incredible for an investor like me to see something like that. What's the special sauce with, with CrowdStrike? What is it something about this company that, that you really like? It is. It all goes back to what I was saying about the strength of the cloud. Um, so CrowdStrike's mantra is that we're crowdsourced security. And that goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Customers are no longer their own island. Anything that's occurring any attack that's occurring across the CrowdStrike net network can be seen by CrowdStrike and acted upon. So it could be preventing an attack to thousands of customers at once with a simple fix or a simple response. Um, and so it's that CrowdStrike uh, or crowdsourced knowledge that's really their strength, but also the scale they immediately get. And so they were having phenomenal performance. It's one of my top holdings. Um, going into the last earnings, they are having phenomenal performance, knocking it out of the park and having all, uh, you know, complete uh, tailwinds and then enter the, the pandemic where you have the workforce scattering further, uh, they become more critical. And so cybersecurity, there's, there's a lot of different angles to cybersecurity. Okta was identity. Okta is all about identifying you're the person you, who you are. Um, and once that identity is established, then you can have access to all the tooling and um, uh, internal sites or whatever's hooked up through the Okta network. Um, however, you also need to protect your network traffic. And so this is the traffic from my device to somewhere else. So Okta partially does that. They control the, your authentication and authorization to use things, but they're not, control, they're not protecting the, the, the traffic as it goes from my device to a server. Uh, and then you need to protect the devices themselves. And that's where CrowdStrike comes into play. And so I've actually got companies across all those, those areas of cybersecurity I'm interested in. Okta for identity, CrowdStrike for, for endpoint protection, and um, uh, Zscaler for uh, network traffic, for the network traffic between devices. So with CrowdStrike, it's an agent that gets installed on your devices. This could be laptops, this could be servers, whether on-premise or in the cloud. This could be services that are running somewhere in the cloud. Um, uh, your uh, mobile devices scattered across your workforce. And so this is protecting attacks to that device. It's trying to, you know, the old method was, I'm gonna install an antivirus agent and malware detector. But now it's so much more. And it's not just this, again, you're not your own island. Those, the, the old method was that I had Norton antivirus on my laptop and if it saw something, it would try to respond to it, but it would automatically download updates every so often to, you know, be able to recognize those signatures. CrowdStrike can be way more proactive in what they're looking for and block some content that they see on any device across their entire network. They can block that all at once. And so CrowdStrike is all about endpoint protection and then you get into something like Zscaler where they're all about the traffic and you start seeing partnerships, including between those two companies, CrowdStrike and Zscaler are working together in a partnership to protect both at once. So you can get both of those services and they bundle together 
and interoperate together where it's almost giving you end-to-end -end protection. I'm protected in the traffic that's going to a device. The device itself is protected and then I'm protected with the outgoing traffic from that same device. So interesting combinations are starting to happen from, from all these disparate companies. And definitely a need for it everywhere, especially right now with, with so many employees working remotely. Exactly. Uh, Matthew, I've got the lightning round for you here. Not lightning necessarily that you have to answer in a matter of seconds. Please take as long as you like, but <laughs> lightning that you, you haven't seen these questions yet, so I'm totally springing them on you, and, and I'd love to hear your answers to them. Sure. Uh, the, the first one, though, is um, uh, kind of about Netflix, because Netflix was one of the earliest adopters in you know, kind of this move to microservices and containers. And now you're starting to hear a lot of people talk about Kubernetes and these orchestration, um, you know, automation kind of systems to manage all of this stuff. What is the impact you think that, that containers are going to have on the IT and the software world? Oh, and Tainer, uh, from a developer standpoint, it's, it's changing everything. Um, you can now uh, more tightly control your entire service, everything it needs, uh, the service itself, any ancillary softwares that come along with it, uh, the database that it runs on, all these things can be containerized. And it just gives you, a, um, a, a very straightforward path to deployment, um, uh, a very repeatable path to deployment. But once things are containerized, you're, 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 dealing, you're, you're moving away from the uh, concerns about the infrastructure that it's running on. So you don't have to maintain any hardware. That's done separately. Containers can live anywhere. So I could be running a container on my on-premise hardware. I could be running it out in the cloud. You can have a lot of flexibility with then what system it's running on. You can be scaling them up and down as needed. If the load suddenly starts spiking, you can spawn up several more and the load can be distributed across them. So containers are, are incredibly powerful. Um, and Netflix was really at the forefront of that. Uh, I've always been very interested in them and, and have been, uh, up until recently had been a very long time owner and I always loved them because they erased a lot of investment mistakes for me, <laughs> <laughs> held them for a very long time. So had a lot of success with Netflix, but they've always been very fascinating from a developer standpoint. They've always been a, a little bit bleeding edge in how to use cloud platforms. Um, uh, obviously they were pretty tightly integrated with AWS for the longest time, but th they used to have a software I was always intrigued by called chaos monkey. And Chaos Monkey would go around their entire network of services and turn something off. To, and they could measure the impact of what turning one thing off could do. And so would the rest of their services, you know, flow around that, uh, that failure as, as intended or would something detrimental happen? And really interesting uh, software concept. So always been intrigued by them. Okay. Uh, second question for you, Matthew, in the lightning round here is we've started to see some mega acquisitions in, in the last couple of years, uh, which might not be culturally natural fits for a lot of people to digest, right? We saw IBM buy Red Hat. Uh, we saw Microsoft buy GitHub. I mean, these were kind of, a lot of people would think of these as cultural clashes at the times of the acquisitions, just on the way that the business was being done before then. Um, so lightning round question for you, is open source the future of software? And if it is, how are companies making money off of this? Wow, that's a, that's a, a way harder question. Uh, I love open source and I'm an open source developer and using open source tools uh, quite extensively. Um, certainly, yes, they, uh, companies have been formed around those open source packages and that's great 
for everyone involved because it gives you someone to pay for enterprise support if you're using that package. And then also encourages active development of that open source package. It's not just thrown out there and kind of stranded. It's got active development, it's fixing issues, it's evolving from there. So I've always liked the open source paradigm. Is it the best investment? That's, that's, that's an iffier question and not necessarily. And, I, and I've actually stayed away from those companies um, because I don't think they're the best investment. Like Cloudera, I stayed away from. I didn't think that their approach, including what Horton Works was doing, and then they all merged together because neither of them could really do it well. I don't think you can just form a company over open source and expect uh, everything to be rosy. Where I'm excited about MongoDB and Elastic's approach is that they built uh, SaaS services over it. So those are the um, hosted managed instances that they'll run for you. So they built a SaaS service or acquired it in the case of MongoDB, um, built uh, a SaaS platform where they can host it for you and take away the, the difficulties in managing it. But then from there, what I'm most excited about is the optionality that brings them where they could be spinning out enterprise services based on their core. And both MongoDB and Elastic are doing that with uh, the enterprise search being the core focus between both of them. They're really focusing on providing that as a SaaS service to enterprises, every enterprise, not just development focused ones. And that's where uh, it starts to get exciting as an investor. Sure. So um, the open source model, get, get developers interested first, first and foremost, and then start adding, adding on applications or layers to that, that they consider to be valuable. One of which being convenience at, at very high on the list. Again, from an investor standpoint, it's not the open source nature that interests me most. It's that they've developed such a strong core package that everyone is interested in as an open core package, but it's those SaaS services they're starting to provide over it that are most interesting to me. Sure. So it's kind of pivoting away from, I guess, what you call the standard approach that's been tried by, uh, by others before. Well, it's definitely an interesting space. And my very last question for you, Matthew, is, you know, our audience here at 7investing, individual investors, cloud computing has been a fantastic segment of the market to invest in in the recent years. What are a couple of things that we should be thinking about and paying attention to in cloud or digital transformation or all the things that you live on a, on a daily basis? What are a couple of things we should be, we should really be paying attention to in this space from an investment perspective? Uh, we certainly talked about cybersecurity. That's, that's always pretty interesting and cross applies to most enterprises. Um, not just development-focused ones. Um, uh, edge networks. Um, certainly, you know, 5G and IoT are, are, are very hot topics. Where the cloud combines with them is where I'm most interested. And so edge networks are, are definitely a fascinating subject. I know uh, Fastly was a selection in 7investing. Um, uh, Fastly and Cloudflare are two of the major names there. Um, so what an edge network is, is they have set up multiple data centers around the globe and they're providing the security and transport between those data centers. And so they can set up a data center in Hong Kong, a data center in San Francisco, and the traffic between them is very uh, in incredibly secure, incredibly fast, incredibly performant. And so they've built a variety of services off of these edge networks. They can provide denial of service attack, um, because they're sitting over your website. And so they're interpreting all the traffic into your website um, and, and can block uh, problematic ones. Um, they, are, they are a CDN, which uh, content delivery network, which means they can distribute your content across the globe so that a user in Hong Kong 
and a user in San Francisco are talking to servers that are near them instead of everyone talking to your server in San Francisco across the globe. Um, and so that inherently makes your applications a lot more performant and, and responsive. Um, but uh, at Cloudflare in particular, I'm extremely excited about and own because they are starting uh, to take uh, cybersecurity a lot more seriously and starting to leverage that edge network that they're built for other purposes into security. Um, uh, in particular, they've mirrored what uh, Zscaler does and they're now um, able to sit as a layer between your workforce and the SaaS tooling that they talk to. And so outgoing traffic from your workforce to SaaS providers can be protected. It's called a secure web gateway, kind of an advanced firewall, a next gen firewall. But also the traffic into your services can be protected, which would be like a zero trust security paradigm. Um, uh, exactly like Zscaler does, Cloudflare has now leveraged its entire edge network to do the same thing. And so it's, it's interesting, it, it, interesting space. And every time you hear about net neutrality in the fast lane of the internet, companies are already providing that. That's what Cloudflare and Fastly do is I can be paying them to assure that I, as an enterprise, have a fast connection to some service. In this case, let's say Office 365. Well, definitely a lot of uh, exciting stuff to talk about there. You know, Matt, Matthew just mentioned a couple of them. Software as a service, still a very important topic. Uh, cybersecurity, still very important. Edge computing, very, very important topic too. Uh, Matthew Esch again, data architect at the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Matthew, thank you very much for uh, the time here with Seven Investing this afternoon. Oh, thank you, Simon. I, I could talk about this stuff all day. and Very interested in it all from the technology perspective, but also just from an investment perspective. So. Well, we'll certainly have you back again. Thanks again for the time and thank you for tuning in. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7 Investing. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.